Vivek, welcome to Happy at Work. We're so glad to have you here. It's all about empowering workers, positivity in the workplace, making employees happier. And what better guest is to have Vivek who, and I, I'll let Vivek introduce himself, but he's offering something powerful to people that could change their lives. So for the people watching here, this is amazing and you could probably want to learn a lot about it. So maybe you could just jump into it and tell them about what you do and how this helps people. Thank you, Jack, and uh, thanks for hosting me. Um, so by introduction, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Instride, a strategic workforce education company. Our mission is to help leading employers provide life-changing career-boosting education to their employees in partnership with leading global universities. And as of today, we serve over 40 large organizations and over the last three years since our inception have helped avoid $480 million of student debt. And that is a KPI that we are supremely proud of. And the problem we're trying to solve is a problem of reskilling, problem of recruiting and retention, a problem that today has reached right to the desk of the CEO. So that's what we do. So, so how does this work? So basically what you're doing is you partner with various corporations and in order to attract and retain talent, one of the offerings for these companies is to offer free tuition for people, which, which I would say, hey, if I turn back the clock, I'd say, I'll take that. That sounds great. And that, that's Jack, how we, we do essentially three things and I'll go through those in order. Uh, the first thing we do is we have a conversation with the leader of the organization, which is typically the CEO or a board member or a business unit leader. And we try to understand what business problem they're trying to solve and how can investment in workforce education help them achieve that problem. And the reason we try to do both, that is the core aspect of the book I wrote on this, which is called CSPARC. The way you make initiatives sustainable and sticky in large organization is you make them address the business priority. So depending on the CEO or depending on the industry, that business priority could be, hey, I need help with recruiting or retention, or I need help with revenue and profitability, or I need help with diversity, equity, and inclusion, or I need help with upskilling. So we build a program wherein we figure out what education, what programs would be, would be provided to which employee group in what geography to help you drive that goal. So that's number one. Then what we do is we have built a very high quality network of universities all over the world with whom we partner to provide that education. So my academic partners include Arizona State University, which is ranked number one in innovation for seven years in a row by the US news uh, ranking. That includes University of Memphis, the UVA, Wisconsin, City University of New York, Tech Millennium in Mexico, universities in Australia and in Europe. And the university partners we look for, Jack, are the ones who are not just focused on enrollment, they're focused on the outcome because it's the outcome that the employer is looking for, it's the outcome that the individual learner is looking for. And the third thing we do is, now that we have a workforce education program that has commitment from the CEO, 
we have high quality universities that will provide that education capability. We have, the third thing we do is we have a, we have a proprietary platform which improves the learner and the corporate experience. So imagine a workforce of 50,000 people and you advise them that you're gonna go through the program. There are some basic no regret questions like, well, how does this work? Who's gonna pay? Am I eligible? And sometimes not being able to deliver those answers at scale is a problem. We have solved that by investing tens of millions of dollars in this platform that we provide as a capability. So it's basically three things, Jack. Build a program that drives business goals. Deliver education in partnership with leading universities on a platform that improves the learner and corporate experience. And the thing we've heard a lot about CEOs complaining that the current workforce doesn't have the skills that we need for today. So what skills are the CEOs hoping to, uh, to learn through your platform? What, what are the top ones? That's a great question, uh, Michael. The answer is an inelegant, it depends. And it depends on, on different industries. Let me just pick three or four. Sure. Well, let's start with industrial. So automotive, assembly, manufacturing, the big frustration that our CEO partners have in this industry is there is more technology going into industrials than anywhere else. Yet the perception among prospective employees, especially industrial employees, is that it is the three Ds, dirty, dark, and dangerous. Nothing could be farther than truth. So some of our industrial partners like Magna, one of the largest auto uh, tier one manufacturer, uh, they are investing in basic technology readiness of the rank and file. How do we ensure that everybody in the organization has minimal digital literacy? Let's take another example, healthcare. In healthcare, uh, we are as a country short of somewhere around 300,000 nurses. And that problem is getting worse and worse day by day. Every time a nurse walks out of a hospital system, it takes $40,000 to $60,000 just to replace her. And we're not talking about the knowledge and you know, the organizational understanding that goes away with her. And so for healthcare CEOs in particular, they are focused on two things. How do we solve through targeted intervention through education, the nursing problem? The other thing they're trying to focus right now is upskilling. So for example, over the last two years, all of us through COVID have had a very, have had a much deeper experience of telehealth. Telehealth has just exploded and hospital systems currently are not equipped to take care of that. So they need, just like the industrial counterparts, individuals who have minimal understanding of the digital tools and capabilities so that they can serve the patients. The third industry I'll talk about is retail. A 10,000 person retail shop, these are facts normally not known, a 10,000 person retail shop, even in a good year, spends about $22 million on recruiting and retention, $22 million. Most CHROs and CEOs in retail take that cost as a given. And when we talk to CEOs, we say that does not have to be given. So what if you had something like Starbucks where 
four years after, five years after investing this program called Starbucks College Achievement Plan, what Starbucks and Arizona State University found was they were having 75% reduction in attrition, 75. Baristas who were going through the program were getting promoted three times faster. Well, that's a solution. Invest in your employees, let them figure out what education they're trying to, they want to achieve. But fundamentally, the one common thing that we are seeing across sectors, across geographies, is that talent retention, recruiting, and upskilling has reached the desk of the CEO. It is not just a CHRO agenda anymore. It is a board agenda. It is a CEO agenda. And the number one way in which CEOs are able to, to solve this is to invest in the education of their employees. Because what I remind them is there is a historical precedent to this, to what happened in our country eight years back. When most working men went to war, there was a scarcity of working age employees. And President Roosevelt at that time was worried about wage inflation. So he signed executive order 9250, froze wages. And some compassionate CEO said, okay, why don't I attract employees through benefits? And the number one benefit that got traction was health insurance. Believe it or not, our country did not have health insurance with the job in 1940s. And some people took the lead, a few others followed, public policy and public opinion changed. And today it is illegal to recruit someone without health insurance. We believe that these compassionate and visionary CEOs that we work with are those leaders who will make others follow. And in a matter of five to 10 years, I would be surprised that just like healthcare, a job does not come with education. Um, Vivek, it's so nice to have you with us. I have a, a quick question um, kind of to follow on to what you just said, actually a two-part question, if that's okay. Uh, the first is you mentioned about CEOs, you're really trying to work with them to see what business problem they're trying to solve. What's the primary business problem you've seen in the past, say, two years since the global pandemic that they're trying to solve? And I'm also curious to see how regulations have impacted. Um, I've worked in healthcare for 20 years and know a lot around the nursing regulations and, and the expectations on nurses have really dramatically shifted, say, in the last decade. So how do regulations also impact those business problems and how are you able to, to help solve them? That's a great question, Tessa. Across industries, the business problems that CEOs ask us to help with, I would say fall in one or more of six buckets. Uh, and I will just go through them and I'll pick one or two, which are more common these days than others. Number one is revenue and profitability. That is the yardstick through which every CEO is measured, at least by the board, if not by shareholders as well. Number two, business agility. My organization is as agile and as relevant in the marketplace as the relevance of the skill sets of my employees. If you are an IT outsourcing company or a technology company and your developers do not know data science today, that is a problem. You need to upskill them. Number three, recruiting and retention. That's been a major focus for the last two years in particular. It's amazing you think about the life of a CEO for the last 18 months, Tessa. We moved from the 
tightest job market in 60 years in Q1 of 20 to the toughest job market in 100 years in Q3 2020 to back to a tight job market primarily from supply side. I mean, it is tough to be a CEO and figure out this recruiting and retention challenge these days. Number four, huge focus for CEO these days, especially since last summer, is diversity, equity, and inclusion. It is a problem big enough at the front line where it becomes even more troublesome is middle management. You can potentially hire your way through, you can solve the problem through recruiting at the front line as far as diversity and equity is concerned. But when it comes to middle management, you have to make sure that education and workforce investment is core part of your strategy linked to diversity goals in your organization. Number five is corporate citizenship. You know, 75% of employee base in three years by 2025 is gonna be millennials. What's the number one thing they want? They want their employer to have a social mission. They want their employer to contribute back to society. So CEOs have to figure out how can they actually have a corporate mission? And the last one is brand. It's linked to corporate mission, but does your brand stand for investment in your employees? Does your brand stand for alignment with ESG goals? I serve on the board of JetBlue Airways, uh, one, of the, one of the coolest airlines in the world. And uh, I will tell you in 2020, when Robin Hayes, our CEO announced that we will be the first carbon neutral airline in the United States on our domestic flight, it meant a lot to our employees. It meant a lot to our customers. It meant a lot to our investors. So once again, it's, uh, you know, some CEOs uh, have one or more of these as higher priorities. The two or three that have been more prominent in the last two years would be recruiting and retention, uh, business agility, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. As far as your question on regulation is concerned, you know, most good organizations work within the regulatory framework, they work in the context of the rule of the law. Uh, our experience has been that uh, uh, that does not tend to be a differentiator. You know, the workforce education uh, investment that most CEOs make actually tends to amplify and complement their stance on regulatory uh, constraints and obligations. So we don't typically see that as a challenge as far as education is concerned. I so just thing, uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I just wanted to quickly mention that I flew JetBlue yesterday to Florida. It was my first flight in two years. And uh, they actually brought up the carbon neutral piece. And I, I was shocked. And my teenage boys who were with me, I, we actually had a discussion about it. So congratulations on that front. Sorry, uh, I just well, wanted to mention that. I will, thank you. And I will pass your compliments to our, <laughs> our extraordinary CEO, Robin Hiss. Uh, Vivek, uh, my next question uh, Tessa and I teach uh, a Harvard executive ed course called the Positive Workplace, where we we teach managers, you know, how you actually bring this into the office. And a lot of the managers come to us, and we have to help them operationalize things. And, and one question that popped out for me: I love the idea that people can get a free education, and but when we talk about the intersection of so many people are burned out and busy, single moms trying to take care of everything, specifically like the healthcare people, let's say nurses, they, they want to upskill and, and maybe be a, 
a nurse practitioner, you know, move up there, but but they're burned out and they're overscheduled. Uh, is there anything that your organization does to make it easier for people to access that free education when they're just juggling so many balls in the air? That's a, that's a terrific question. Um, burnout has been a real issue across corporate America, especially since last summer. And it's not just related to a different modality of working, you know, working from home, not connected in a physical environment with our colleagues. It's also been the socio-political stress over the last 12 to 18 months. It has affected a lot of people very strongly, especially millennials. The, the one silver lining out of this and the one obligation I always remind CEOs is there was an Edelman survey early this year among, among uh, working employees in corporate America that said that across political ideologies, across gender, race, background, employees trusted their organization, trusted their CEO more than any other institution. In fact, most employees trust the newsletter of their company more than the, the media that tells you something. And uh, you know, I'm an ex-Disney guy, so I'm gonna use a Marvel quote. I'm gonna modify the Peter Parker quote with great power comes great responsibility. I would say with, uh, with great responsibility comes great opportunity. And CEOs today have an opportunity to you know, take the bull by hand and basically address some of these issues. They have to show more empathy. They have to show more empathy towards working mothers. It's ex it's, it's extraordinarily challenging for them. They have to show empathy for burnout. So some of the things that we do, and this is in no particular order, uh, and I will also talk about some of the good things that I've seen my clients do. One is CEOs have to role model. So one thing I started doing since last summer was, while I do work on Friday nights and Saturdays and Sundays, I batch all my emails to go on Sunday evening. I do not want people to get my emails. I want them to look at my emails on Monday. Now, Sundays work good for me because there are times when my kids are sleeping. So it's easier for me to work myself, but that may not be the case for an individual who has been working from a condo without having a chance to get out, meet his family or friends for the last 18 months. It's stressful. Uh, so other things we have done is we have, what we found was the travel time to office before COVID, both to office and from office has been replaced by extra work time. And people are feeling extra stress from that. So one of the things we did was we started the concept of mandatory company shutdown. So whenever we have a three-day weekend, we have made it a four-day weekend. Whenever we had a four-day holiday, we actually converted it to a five-day holiday because when everybody was off, there is no expectation to look at your email and join a meeting because you want to be a good corporate citizen. Uh, the other thing we have seen employees do that I've started doing is over communication. We are a very transparent organization. Some of the clients that I work with, which have a very strong culture are also very transparent. Employees today are expect CEOs to articulate the why behind the what. It is, it, is, it is responsible, it is respectful, it is expected, especially by millennials. So every Friday, 
the entire company comes together for one hour. I take 15 minutes in the beginning and talk about all that's going on. I even talk about what I'm worried about. And I even talk about, hey, there are some things I haven't figured out. I would look forward to your inputs. I get extraordinary uh, feedback from my, from my team members when we do that. But uh, I think it's okay to show a little bit of vulnerability, show your human side and bring everybody along. So over communication, more empathy. This is not just in reaction to COVID. I think this is something that the new generation, the new generation of millennials in the workforce will expect with or without COVID. And visionary CEOs, successful CEOs will continue doing that beyond COVID as well. Great, hey Vivek, do you also have, in addition to two year, four year degrees, there's a big move for people to pivot or reinvent themselves maybe in the tech space, or maybe college isn't for everybody and you wanna learn a trade. Do you have those programs? Are you thinking of putting those programs in place? That's a great question, Jack. Uh, our philosophy is you have to meet the learner where she is. And we have, as of today, close to 2,500 programs. Those include not just undergrad degrees, they include high school completion. They include associate programs. They include graduate programs. They include certificates, certifications, short-term credentials. Uh, it is not my job, not am I qualified to figure out what does an individual learner want? You know, what stage of her life she is in, what her aspirations are, she is best equipped. My job is to pre present to her all the different options and let her make a decision and you're spot on. There are quite a few who go with the traditional college degree. There are many who go with uh, a short-term program on leadership, on supply chain, on, uh, on data science, on other aspects of technology. One of the interesting things I've found over the last two years is as most of us and certainly corporate America found how exposed we were on supply chains. You know, when at the height of COVID, we don't even have N95 masks. That is uh, uh, an eye-opener. There, so there is a lot of focus on learning supply chain. Sorry, go so, ahead. So would this be, I'm sorry to interrupt. So this is interesting. So in real time, if you sense that problem, turn back the clock, what was it like three months ago when that was such a big issue to kind of maybe roll out some program, some certificate accreditation program where now you could be an expert at it to help. Is that kind of where you're going? Or those things that's, you already offer? If that's what the employee wants, sure. But there are employees Wow. There are learners who say, you know what? I missed college. I do want to do, I want to have a four-year degree. Uh, almost all of the 17,000, 18,000 learners at the Starbucks College Achievement Plan and 8,000 graduates or 7,000 graduates, almost all of them have done a four-year degree. And neither Starbucks nor Arizona State University tells them which degree. They choose that. But a vast, vast majority do, uh, do uh, four-year degrees. On the other hand, I have clients in healthcare system where exactly what you're saying is happening. People want to do short-term courses on digital literacy or supply chain. So once again, our job, my focus is to make sure highest quality programs from the highest quality universities are available to learners. And based on their career aspiration, they make the pick. And the interesting thing is, depending on industry, depending on company, depending on individual, different people make different choices. 
One of the um, one of the interesting pieces when I look at your six the six uh, business problems um, that you really hear from the CEOs is kind of the intersection between diversity and inclusion, retention, recruitment, and brand. Because as we saw with uh, the George Floyd protests, a lot of uh, companies were woke washing, which were hashtagging about BLM. But then if you looked at their corporate governance or who was in the C-suite, there were barely any women or racial and ethnic minorities, and they got called out on it by younger generations of consumers. And we're seeing other sites like Pull Up for Change who are doing that. So how, how do you help these CEOs who are kind of having these issues with multiple areas that's causing these business problems? They need to recruit racial and ethnic minorities. They need to move more up into the executive leadership of the authentically to a younger generation of consumers who really do care about these values and wanna, want these brands and companies to do more. Yeah, this is, uh, so you're spot on, um, Tessa, with many of these business problems are interlinked, right? You cannot solve the recruiting and retention problem while also not simultaneously solving your diversity, equity, and inclusion problem. Um, and I will say, to give credit to corporate America, there are very few CEOs I talk to who do not have diversity, equity, and inclusion at top of their agenda. How they're handling it, it is a function of their industry, their, their, their business. In, in some areas, you know, corporate social responsibility is more addressed through, frankly, the commitment to climate change. In many cases, uh, there is very uh, explicit goals are tied on uh, diversity growth and senior executive compensation. We have seen those. And uh, we actually have seen pretty radical results coming as a result of compensation being tied to, to diversity goals for senior management, especially, especially the CEO staff. The other thing is we also see many CEOs and board members do a little bit of role modeling. Think about it, right? You're the CEO of a Fortune 500 firm and your board is not diverse. Well, you have an excuse. So we also ask board members that if you want to have diversity in the rank and file, you have to show diversity within your boards. And for the first time last year, this is as per the you know, Spencer Stewart report, uh, last year for the first time, all, uh, all top 500 companies in the country had at least one diverse uh, board member by gender uh, and average number was close to three, which is great. As that happens, as you start diversity happening at the very top, employees also take the cue. The, the challenge, as I said, Tessa, is typically in middle management. It's, it's in the working age of 30 to 40, where for different reasons, you know, uh, especially gender diverse employees, you know, uh, for lack of a better word, fall behind. And that is where I think we urge our, our uh, our partners to have education investment goals explicitly tied to improvement in diversity and many of them have done that and do you also offer any trainings on empathy emotional intelligence positive psychology for those middle managers who say i'd love to do this and go with the trends but 
I don't know exactly what to do. Do you, do you offer help to them as well? Of the four most uh, common career pathways that we offer, uh, leadership is one of the four that actually is very common. You know, so if I were to say our top four, it's uh, technologist, supply chain, healthcare, and leadership. And and uh, leadership is not just about executive education. Leadership is about courses related to soft skills like the ones that you talked about. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, uh, and I know we're, we're, we're running out of time, but I wanted to ask a slightly uh, different question based on, on evidence that I, I learned during COVID, I went to Penn to get a master's degree in positive psych psychology. So while most people were miserable, I'm like learning about well-being <laughs> and flourishing. And we ended up learning uh, quite an interesting uh, thing about reducing burnout and increasing retention by reducing your stress by picking up new hobbies. And I'm curious if you've considered or, or have programs dealing with the humanities, like teach it, like I started painting, uh, maybe teaching people how to do online piano, which isn't really gonna hit an ROI directly, but if someone can relax, pick up a hobby, I'm gonna stay at the work, I'm not gonna be yelling at everybody. Do you feel that there's a need for uh, introducing uh, any coursework on the humanities for retention and burnout reduction? Well, whether it's course or an organization supporting such initiatives, we, for example, uh, have uh, we support volunteer events, and those are extraordinarily population popular among instructors. Um, one of the aspects of corporate citizenship is active initiatives to to give back to the community, typically around the the areas where your corporate headquarters is located. the The meta answer I'll give you on this one is. Um, uh, one conversation, one question I ask CEOs when we talk about recruiting and retention is, imagine a scenario wherein the success of your company is dependent on your employees staying with you for 10, 20, 30 years. Your ability to recruit outside frontline being zero. And over those 10, 20, 30 years, every year those employees were being offered opportunities from outside. And when you say that, you know, most CEOs reaction is, oh my God, that's an impossible scenario. And my answer is there is a world in which that reality plays out year after year for the last 200 years. And that is the US military. And that is one institution where ability to hire after frontline is zero. That is an institution that has not failed us for the last 200 years. So we ask them, and it's building on the question that you had, we ask ourselves, what is it that the US military has done that, that enables such high retention and such enormous and frankly, unambiguously 100% success rate for 200 years? And it's basically three things. Those are not the only three things, but those are three things that we typically call out. Number one is you know, every year uh, between the Army, the Navy, the Marines, the Coast Guard, they recruit somewhere between 20 to 80,000 know, frontline frontline employees every year per branch. And what's common among all those? It's the mission. It's the mission to serve the country. So whether it's through hobbies, whether it's through you know, giving back to the community, if you can link everything that you do with the mission of the organization and you can energize the population, your workforce to that mission, that is a good starting point. The second thing the military does very well 
they actually, every time you talk to any, any military vet, they will say, they will talk about a unique relationship they had with their, with their superior. The engagement that we have with our boss, our manager is basically half of our company engagement. So how do we encourage those soft skills? Uh, how do we increase, encourage those opportunities for managers to take the team for volunteering events, for community events, and build a level of camaraderie that's typically seen in military? And the last one is, uh, is the amount of time and energy and dollars that the US military invests in lifelong training, in education, in workforce. It's just beyond comparison. And I tell CEOs, well, maybe it's time for you to think that way. My predecessor at the JetBlue Airways board, who had to transition after a mandatory 15 years of retirement, 15 years of tenure limit, was General Stanley McChrystal. And here is somebody who has been trained by Army, but his contribution to corporate America is, is without any comparison. So yes, I would say such events, you know, volunteering events and community events and hobbies do contribute but what really is most important is alignment of those events, those initiatives to the mission of the organization, because that's what gets everybody excited. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And it's amazing. I, I, think, I think this is helping so many people. And the numbers you were mentioning are staggering. How many people are getting their degrees and improving their lives and advancing within, in, in, within their careers. So I really appreciate it. If people what we do is we'll upload the video, we'll clean it up, tighten it up, all that kind of good stuff. But where for people to find you, I'd like to give kind of a, an address is, should it go to Instride directly, to you directly? What, what, how they can you like go to Instride.com through that. Okay. They can always reach me or any of my wonderful, wonderful colleagues. Exactly. Thank you so much. So.